Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I am here with John Cross today and we're going to talk all things last day of the Premier League season. John, you were at Leicester yesterday. Can you sort the feelings that, that were happening at, at Kitley King Power? Because they were safe for a lot of the day and, and ended up obviously falling short in the end because of the result at Everton. Yeah, 27 minutes they were safe. And I've got to say, I think it was only really for 27 minutes that they really believed. You know, so that was 27 minutes from the time that Harvey Barnes scores to give him the, the lead after 34 minutes until the end of that first half and then the start of the second half um, really for um, uh, for uh, Abdullah Decore um, giving Everton the lead and the all-important goal. So I don't really think it was, you know, it didn't feel, um, actually I can't do my maths there, it's 23 minutes, isn't it? But 23 minutes, um, 12 plus 11. But um, I, 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 you know, I just felt as if there was this, I don't know whether before the game anyone massively bought into it. And I don't know whether, you know, during the game before they really truly believed. And then as soon as Everton scored, I felt, you know, the the kind of the air was released out of the balloon and, uh, you know, the dream was over, if you like, and, and everyone fell a bit flat. And it was a bit, it was a, just a bit anti-climax, really. What, what struck me was that, you know, I was there so much in the... 15-16 uh, season when they won the league title and that was the greatest story ever you know when Ranieri's heroes completely upset the odds and you know it it made worldwide headlines it was just a, a global phenomenon and I just cannot believe that within the space of seven years we've gone from that you know that joy and those celebrations those momentous days you know um, in, into into really the days of despair and Leicester, let's face it, have never always been a mainstay of the top flight. But I, you know, they're, they're regulars. Let's put it. Let's put it that way. And they have, you know, uh, gone between the divisions in the, in the, you know, in the in the recent past. Of course, they have. You know, that's part of the story and why, you know, why it made twenty sixteen so special. But I just think. To go from being champions to championship within seven years is absolutely heartbreaking for them. And the bigger impact, I think, also is is the fire sale that sort of kind of hits next. And and that's such a worry, I think, for the club's fans. But, you know, it's, it was just a bit anticlimactic really yesterday and just that short space of, of belief quickly replaced by a few false alarms, but really gen generally just resigned to their fate, which was a pretty sad, sorry ending to, to their Premier League days as a club. Do you think that Leicester are positioned to bounce back? I mean, you see, you know, Jim, look at the teams that came up this year. Burnley and Sheffield United are recently relegated Premier League teams and, you know, Burnley first time, Sheffield United second season. Do you think Leicester are in a position where they can bounce back or do you think there's too much needn't happen. I mean, compare it to Southampton who already have their manager in place for next season. Leicester need to make a decision on Dean Smith. They've got a lot of players leaving on out of contracts, a lot of players who they need to sell. It's it seems to me like they're in a bit of a, a nightmare 
situation, especially I, I don't think their ownership will have expected relegation this season either. I doubt they've prepared, you know, in the way that maybe a, a Bournemouth who were probably expecting the could go down will have. So to me, from the outside looking in, it, it feels like Leicester have the nightmare situation relegation that you can have where not expected a lot of players are even on free transfers they can't sell and a fire sale with no manager it just seems very difficult yeah I do, I do think you're right Connor I think that basically I do think there'll be a fire sale I think a lot of players will go you know Madison Barnes Tielemans is out of contract anyway um, I do think you'll lose Ndidi. I think you'll lose a lot of good quality Premier League players. And I think, therefore, you've just got to make sure that the next managerial appointment is right. Look, I think they made a mistake in in, in sacking Brendan Rodgers. I think they would have stood a better chance with continuity, really, and basically just staying with... Listen, I'm not pretending, not trying to sort of gloss it over and basically saying that, that, that it all, all was fine. They, they just dropped into the relegation zone when Brendan Rodgers was sacked. But I just feel as if, you know, I think if they'd given him a little bit more time, I think other clubs, you know, were, were sort of rewarded for sticking with managers. And, you know, if you look at, you know, Steve Cooper for, for a while, they flirted so many times with sacking him for us, didn't they, until the fans actually had their say. And I just think that they're basically would have been better served that. I still felt as if Dean Smith might be a decent appointment and give him a fighting chance just because he was almost in a way similar. And I also think you could see him, you know, Dean Smith up close. He was obviously hurting yesterday, um, you know, after the game. I think you could read his, his comments and, and what he said two ways really it felt like oh this is either going to be over for him very quickly because he was only going to be brought in for a short space of time or I'm going to go and see the owners and have have a conversation about what comes next Dean Smith has got a you know a a decent track record a championship and indeed kind of then Premier League survival and I think that you know he got some half decent results If, if they'd sneak that unlikely win at Newcastle their destiny would have been in their own hands but as it was, you know, another stroke of luck yesterday you could have seen them stay up. So I don't think it was too far away. And I, I, you know, I wonder who else could they get that would be a better bet than Dean Smith, bearing in mind he sort of kind of knows the club now a little bit, knows the division that he's now in. And I think that would be a decent shout. Burnley went completely different, didn't they? And basically in terms of managerial appointment and indeed style of play, you know, that was such a gamble. And, and and listen, they've been richly rewarded for that. So there's arguments both sides, but I do feel as if Leicester and their setup, their stadium, their fan base, I think the pressure is going to be high. But I also fancy them basically because I think, you know, we could talk all day long about sort of kind of parachute payments, the validity of those and what have you. But it does give bigger clubs that big chance to potentially go straight back up. And I think then that basically Leicester will, I think, have that opportunity. And probably if they if they get it right and get just about, about the the right amount of exits, but the, the, the right amount of players staying, then I think they can survive. Yeah. One one thing I suppose on Dean Smith is is he did have this last summer. You know, he took Norwich down and, and stayed and it didn't go so well there. So I wonder if that'll play into the yeah. the Leicester thinking. Um we'll move on though. The other relegated team yesterday leads. Um you know, it kind of felt inevitable. You know, I don't think they were, were going to stay up yesterday, really, especially if they went 1-0 down after two minutes. It felt like there was no fight there. They took a big risk 
with Sam Allardyce. And I think he's a manager you need to give time. I don't think he can implement his strategy in four games. Where do you see Leeds heading after this? Do you think they're, they're a team that's primed to bounce back or do you think that they're going to be maybe down there for a few years? Yeah, well, I, I really hope, it, it, to be honest, where I see Leeds go next is not with Sam Allardyce, I've got to say. I, I just think that that has been an unmitigating disaster. I mean, in, in Sam Allardyce's defence, I guess you could argue that basically, you know, he, was, he wasn't given enough time to, to implement. But even yesterday, I was thinking, blimey, you know, is there, is there any chance ever that Sam Allardyce may take a tiny portion of the blame of what has happened on the pitch? Because, blimey, managers are quick to take the, the credit and, you know, plaudits for when results do go their way, but they've also got to take a bit of a share of the blame. Maybe I've not scoured literally every every comment or TV, you know, interview that he's done, but it seemed to me the overriding feeling was that he was absolutely killing the team and the players and the way that they defended again. I mean, which is fair, but hang on a minute. Who sets them up? Who picks them? Who prepares them? Well, I mean, that's the manager. And I just, honestly, I, I was I was staggered by, you know, I, I've been staggered by the last few weeks of how badly it's played out because I did actually think that, okay, you know, this is desperate states and maybe it'll just give them a bit of a, a lift. But I just thought the fixtures they had to come, it would play out badly for Leeds. I have been amazed at how they've gone from one direction to another so quickly. And you therefore you have to sort of kind of at, the, at that point question, I don't know, that the running of the club. And, you know, there's a lot of people involved in that club with, with so much invested. And I don't mean financially, I mean emotionally as well, because it, it feels to me that the hierarchy are really bought into the club. They care passionately about it. These are not distant owners and distant kind of people in the boardroom. They absolutely live and breathe Leeds. And, you know, I think Ellen Road is a special place. And I, I actually think it's really sad that they've gone because I think it's fantastic to go to, to, to Ellen Road on the occasion. Basically, it really brings something to the party at Ellen Road and sort of kind of the way they play. And, you know, the fans get behind it, even the song, you know, that they sing just before kickoff, you know, about giving the lads a hand. Well, I tell you what, they've been giving the lads a hand, you know, for a long time in, in the Premier League. And, and frankly, they've just reached a point where they've run out of ideas, run out of players, run out of quality, let's be honest. And, and, and frankly, ultimately, you know, it, it's been coming for a while and it's heartbreaking for Leeds. And I think then that Leeds, let's be honest here, if you pick apart their squad, it's, it is lacking a bit in quality. I do think they probably needed to rebuild whether they're in the Premier League and now indeed the Championship. So I do think it might be a more painful route back for Leeds and it might take them that little, little bit longer. But I sincerely hope they make the right appointment next time and they can quickly get back because a club of the stature and size of Leeds, I think, should be in the top flight. Yeah, that, that Lucas Moore I go yesterday. I mean, I know he'll be happy with it, but... I think it's Christiansen, the Leeds defender, just literally he moves out the way from like, go on, have a clean passage through on goal. It was it was bizarre and not. I mean, I've seen Sam Allardyce teams, and that wasn't a Sam Allardyce team. So I suppose maybe that would be his argument at the time. Yeah, but but does, does that mean to me? And it certainly does say this to me, Conrad. That basically he's lo losing his touch. You know, oh, yeah, losing his impact. I mean, you know, you, you know, you 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 watched him obviously at Sunderland, didn't you? 
And what an incredible impact. And that final day of surviving, yeah. that all sort of kind of that running when he kept him up and those celebrations on the pitch, I think it was, you know, it was one Tuesday night, wasn't it, or something? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah but 3 0. You know, it's astonishing. And it was just, you know, it was an amazing occasion. And he turned the club around. It's been absolutely, I mean, listen, in fairness to him, you know, he had such limited time. But I'm sorry, but this is, you know, this this has been beyond him. I think every manager has his shelf life. And, you know, I think a few people have indulged him in kind of, you know, saying, you know, he's, he's, he's still got the magic and, and, and written friendly pieces. Whereas I think the more realistic view is that basically he's a bit of a dinosaur. He's come to the end now. And basically that's it, you know, and... I, I just think it, I just think it was a mistake from from Leeds' perspective, and it's not worked. And and, and basically, should, no one should go back. I think that should be a clear lesson. I was amazed to see, um, you know, in the fallout yesterday, he was talking about perhaps you know having one more crack at Leeds and basically be given the opportunity to stay on at Leeds, and that he was having sort of kind of discussions with the owners about staying. And I was thinking, really, you know, I just think if if anyone does that, I just. I just think that's madness, absolute madness. He's, he's lost his magic. Time to move on. Yeah, I think the thing, I, last thing on Allardyce, the thing I didn't like was he so clearly went in there for money. And like, I know that it's a, it's a business and I get that. I'm not saying you need to be romantic about football all the time. But the information about his contract just became so public that he was getting X amount of money for the four games, X amount of money if they stayed up. And it, it felt to me like if I was a player looking at that, I'd be like, well, he's not here to save us. He's here to make himself some money. And and that just didn't sit well with me. But we'll move on now. Everton were the big winners yesterday. Survival. Um, I suppose the question I'll throw to you straight away, and it is kind of a negative one, but is this just putting off the inevitable for Everton? Because I, I can't see a situation where Everton suddenly become a very good football team in the next 12 months. But I don't know. Am I, am I too cynical on that? No, you're not. And I also think the the bigger handicap they've got is what on earth do they do with the squad? So, you know, they've got Sean Dyche there as manager. Um, you know, they've got a uh, a really experienced and top quality manager, um, I, I think. But then what on earth do you do with that squad? And, you know, they are potentially hamstrung by, you know, the finances is still kind of, you know, sort of facing a few questions, aren't they? And kind of, um, difficulties in sort of balancing the books and also falling into line with kind of spending rules. And so basically it's going to be a really difficult, I think, painful summer for them in which the, the kind of fallout will happen and kind of will we'll have a clear idea of what next for Everton, I think, from a financial perspective. I think it's a bit of a mishmash. I mean, you know... <laughs> I mean, uh, Dice has come in and basically sort of tried his best, I think, to to kind of, you know, rebuild a team from Burnley, basically. And, you know, with Michael Keane and then Tarkowski, um, you know, Connor Cody was pushed to one side. Connor Cody comes back yesterday out from, you know, from, from the cold to play an incredible role. And basically, Connor Cody's celebrations, I thought, were the final whistle. I just thought, there's a guy that you'd want in your starting lineup, you know, basically week in, week out, and basically what's happened there, you know, and sort of thing is passion, you know. I mean, it can't all be about passion. If it was, then basically quite a few teams would would still be safe and uh, and so on. So it still has to be about quality. But I do feel as if it's it's been a team that's just drifted and drifted really badly. I mean, there's a stories around last week which Dice, 
you know, was asked about, wasn't there, about his own future because the stories around saying that Everton want to go in a different direction. I tell you what, if if they go in a different direction away from Sean Dyche, then they, no one will have any sympathy with them whatsoever because it has been a tough ride. From when Dyche took over, I think if you'd said to him, you know, you, you'll have your fate in your own hands in a final home game against Bournemouth on the last day of the season, you'd have bitten your, you know, in your arm off basically to to you know to take that opportunity yes it was too nervous uh, for Everton fans liking but when you consider how desperate they were when he took over and how out of form and how short confidence they were then I actually think that he's he's done a decent job and the next two or three years will be about slow building blocks you know to try and revive the team it won't be success overnight it can't be because they haven't got the finances to do it do you think that's the issue as well with a takeover? Because they could get taken over, fair enough, but that doesn't help their FFP issues. You know, they can't just go out and do a Newcastle and spend two hundred and fifty million pounds because they've done that and they're kind of reaping that pain right now that that hasn't worked. I I just can't see how Everton become a team that finishes twelfth next season. I just don't see it being possible. I also think with Sean Dyche. I think he's finished in the top 10 once in the Premier League with Burnley. He's not a manager that knows winning 12, 13 football games a season. He's not really done that in the Premier League before. And I wonder if that's a little bit of why they're looking at somebody fresh and new because they feel like the team is maybe better than what we all see, which is a team that can't score goals from open play unless it's a 20-yard thunderbolt like it was yesterday. Yeah, I, I, look, I do understand an element of that, but I do think also, I think that if you're changing the manager to bring in perhaps someone a bit more glamorous, if you like, because you think Everton should be in the top 10, well, then you are back to square one because then you are saying the hierarchy believe then that basically shouldn't be in this mess. Well, who's put them in the mess? The hierarchy. There's no getting away from that. And basically, the, 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 the sooner... They realise that actually they're they're the architects of their own downfall. The better, and that it's not down to the manager. It's not down to this. It's about their ridiculous kind of rudderless ship when it comes in terms of recruitment, kind of scattergun approach. You know, if you, if you asked, you know, there was a couple of years ago when sort of Ancelotti was 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 in charge. You know, during his reign. I think that's the last time that they've had anything with near resembling a settled team, which most fans would say, okay, that's their first choice, 11. From then, they've just, you know, been all over the shop. They've changed that defender, this midfielder, that striker, and basically not been able to get Calvert-Lewin fit, you know, strong enough, um, consistent enough. And frankly, that is down to, you know, not having a plan, not having a clear thread. They've got quality there. I do think there's some decent players there. But anyone that thinks, oh, we'll change the manager because the manager will be, you know, Daesh won't get us in the top 10, is just fooling themselves. And he's just going back to, you know, the, the main crux of the problem that they're basically just not got a steady enough ship and a, and a plan, but also a dose of realism that they are where they are because of, you know, recruitment and mistakes above the manager. You know, they've got a new stadium potentially to move into. I, I, I wonder, you know, whether the new stadium will give them a lift and, you know, but also, also kind of ease them financially in the longer term. But I, I, I just feel that Everton have got to be realistic about it because next season, if they finish 15th, I actually think that would be decent progress because 
you know, this, this season, there's a reason why they struggle for their lives because they've not been good enough. Got a comment there. Everton will not give in that easy again. Dyche will get rid of the crap uh, and potentially a takeover announcement tomorrow. Got to keep Dyche. So in agreement with you there and also collective responsibility from the top to the bottom of Everton's poor scouting. I think that's fair to say, you know, the, the scouting at Everton has been dreadful. They've missed on so many signings in recent years. Um, we'll jump now though, other final day action. I know there wasn't really much happening elsewhere, but Aston Villa uh, yep. got into the, the Conference League. So they're back to European football. Must be the well, first time they've been in since Martin O'Neill, so over 10 years. Um, big day for them though, getting in and, and putting them back on the map after sort of 10 years or so of decline that they're finally getting themselves back to where they sort of see themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It was great, wasn't it? And and uh, do you know what? I, I get annoyed with the slightly um, clubs that sort of almost categorise themselves as the big clubs that, that, that don't really fancy the Europa League, let alone the Europa Conference League. Well, I, I'd rather have teams in it that, that basically really embrace it and celebrate it and don't see it as as failure to, to, to you know, finish, um, you know, sixth, seventh and whatever it might be. I just feel that, the, you know, Villa really, really, really wanted it. And, you know, I mean, their fans at, at Villa Park are really bought into Naomi and, you know, really like him. And basically, obviously, he's, he's caught light again. He's got this magical knack, hasn't he, Naomi, and in terms of when it comes to European competition. And I think it's a really, could be a really exciting time I think for the club, um, their support at, at Villa Park has been great. They've done really well. They're harder to beat. They've got a plan. They've got a you know the way that they set up, and and I think it's fantastic that the fans are so excited about being back in the Conference League. You know, I'd far as I say, far rather than than, than that, than basically Spurs fans debating oh whether it would be good for the club to to actually be in the Conference League or to be missing out. I just you know. So it's so insular that from um, football fans to say, you know, do we really want to be in the European competition? Of course you do. And if you don't, well, you know, you've only got yourselves to blame, really. So I thought that was a great game. And and, and listen, they are, they, you know, they also beat, didn't they, one of the best stories of the season in Brighton. So Brighton equally, you know, I was at Brighton last week to see them uh, draw with Man City, but then celebrate afterwards because that meant definitely Europa League football. They'd already clinched European football, but, you know, that meant the world to them. And I think it's fantastic and it's, and it would be great. And I think, I do think that Unai Marie just has this, has this knack. He's so well prepared, he, you know, basically sets his teams up. He knows how to win European games because he does that, you know, incredible preparation. The attention to detail is great. And I think Villa could do really well in that competition. Yeah, he's he's the manager you want for a European game, isn't he? I, mean, I don't know how many Europa League titles he's won, but it felt like for a few years it was just him lifting that trophy at the end. Of there's every a reason season. to it, isn't there? Because yeah. it's about preparation and he knows what he's doing. And I feel that they're basically that that really delving in, you know, is, 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 is into kind of the scouting, into the research. You know, that says everything about why Unai Murray has been so successful. Yeah, certain managers don't they just fit certain clubs and Emery fits Aston Villa. And the same way that Eddie Howe seems to fit Newcastle and the Zerbi seems to fit Brighton. But the certain managers you look at like that is a match made in heaven and you just kind of hope that they don't get itchy feet if next season doesn't start so well.
Uh, other final day action, Chelsea ended with a, a 1-1 draw, putting out that misery of probably the worst season since the millennium. Uh, certainly, I know they had a few dodgy years in the 90s. What do you see happening there? Frank Lampard yesterday said there's a lot of do. He questioned the mentality of the players, whether or not they were worried about you know getting injured ahead of transfers in the summer. Seems like a mess of a football club right now. I mean, what does Mauricio Pochettino do? His first day in there. Desperately, desperately try to rebuild that dressing room. I mean, honestly, it's, it's you know, when players were talking earlier in the season about the dressing room not being big enough to accommodate them all and having to get trained in the, in the, in the corridors. I mean, you're never, ever going to succeed with an, a bloated, over overblown squad like that because the disharmony, the dissatisfaction is going to spread. And it's it spreads like a poison, I think, through the through the dressing room. And basically, you can never succeed unless you've got unity and players pulling in the same direction. I actually have some sympathy with those players that are left out in the cold. Why, you know, why would you why would you want to be at a club where you've literally got no chance of playing? It just makes no sense. You know, it just absolutely makes no sense, and it's really poor planning and and so on. I tell you what, I thought it was a bit of a no brainer when Frank Lampard. Came back as 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 interim to hold the fort for the new manager. It's just not worked out like that. It's blown up in his face. He's a Chelsea legend, and basically he's tried to do you know his best for the for the club. And I just think it's just not worked out for him. And and you know it's been a bit of an unmitigating disaster. But I also think there's a lot of players there drifting, thinking, well, I'm not I, I'm not going to be part of the future. I'm not going to be part of it, and just not turned up and really let themselves down. And I just think that the first thing that Pochettino has got to do when when he takes over and when he's confirmed is that basically, well, just, uh, you, you know, try and be play the diplomat and be the man that basically brings them back together again and basically tries to kind of get all the players pulling in the right direction, reduce the squad to, you know, a manageable kind of, you know, um, with, within the Premier League rules of the 25 and basically just, you know, hopefully... Um, also give young players a bit of a chance, you know. I, I you know, hope it, I hope there's not a ridiculous fire sale. And get everybody's got rid of, um, you know, whether it's you know Mount Gallagher, Loftus Cheek, um, Hudson Odoi. You can't get rid of them all, surely. And I do think if you look at Pochettino's track record, I think Pochettino has always been, you know, one for keeping homegrown players. So, you know, it's so many challenges for, for Pochettino, so many challenges. But the first one is to bring back that har- harmony, I think. Yeah, I read a, a story on Mirror Football the other day that Todd Bowley's stepping back. He's not going to be as involved next season. So hopefully that's a positive for Chelsea because clearly yeah. he's, he's he's a bad luck child, to say the least. Um, other final day stuff, I suppose, you know, looking ahead to the FA Cup final, Man United beat Fulham 2-1. Man City reserves, I suppose, probably have to be honest. Uh, lost against Brentford. Brentford doing the double against Man City as well. I don't think we can read too much into those results, can we, ahead of the FA Cup final next week? No, I don't think so. I think Guardiola was was annoyed, wasn't he, by, by his team losing and slipping up again. And basically, um, you know, he has rested and rotated quite a lot, hasn't he, through, through, through the games and through the end of the season. I think you'll probably know in Guardiola how, you know, how much of a perfectionist he is. 
I think he'll have made a few decisions on some of those players that they're basically not being able to grasp their opportunity because opportunities don't come along that often because they're so good at Man City. So I think there might be a few harsh lessons dished out then. I think the other thing that will worry him slightly is have City dropped their level, you know, basically from being an incredible place when it felt like, wow, they were on such a roll to just, you know, is that the best preparation? You know, he certainly talked about that after Brighton um, when he was saying that, you know, we can't afford to kind of let levels and performances drop before the finals, basically. And arguably, they, they, you know, they, I mean, even admitted it, we drank all the alcohol in Manchester before the Brighton game weren't at their best and then basically obviously they've you know slipped up at, at Brentford so I do think you'll need to kind of re-inject that uh, kind of determination within his team and I think it will give United hope United's biggest um, motivation for this game is to stop City winning the treble in my view the FA Cup final will be harder for Manchester City than the Champions League final because United's motivation I think that United have got more potential also to beat City than Inter Milan. And I think then basically that will be the one that, that Guardiola really thinks, wow, we've we really got to kind of win this one to, to keep that treble alive. Yeah, and they'll also have one eye on the Champions League final in yeah. the FA Cup final, which is ridiculous, but that is a factor. Um, last thing I suppose we should talk about is Luton promoted to the Premier League. So that happened on Saturday afternoon we've all seen the the meme going around their away end um we were talking off air about the the stadium apparently 10 million pounds worth of investment has to go in there but aside from the stadium it's a it's a brilliant story isn't it you know a, a non-league club into the premier league in a reasonably short space of time it it gives you reason to love the football pyramid and this is why football is so amazing that this can happen in this country. I mean, do, do you look at that game on Saturday and are, were they the things you were thinking about? Yeah, I, I really do. I think there's certain, you know, I mean, where you think of where Luton were 10 years ago and the desperate straits, you know, they found themselves in, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, out of the league punishments. I mean, it's, it's, you know, they really felt it, Luton fans. And then basically to see the emotions amongst the supporters, you know, on Saturday, never, ever lose that. I think the, the base, the AFL do brilliantly with the playoffs. I think the playoffs is, you know, fantastic um, celebration almost at the end of a season to, to really kind of, it keeps the season alive, doesn't it, for so many teams. And it keeps that, that drama going right until, right until the end. And I think that's fantastic. But it also has this potential to, you know, churn up great stories like a Loon, like a Coventry. Either one of those teams, if they'd gone up, basically would have really been able to point towards a fantastic story of kind of survival, of coming again, of difficult times coming through them, support base. I think it's fantastic for Luton. I think it's great, you know. I've seen a few people try to be killjoys about it and sort of say, oh, kind of they've got no chance and stuff like that. Do me a favour. I mean, they won't have millions to spend, clearly, because I think that I do feel as if, you know, the sort of the priority has has got to be, in a way, the, the long-term stability of the club, the new stadium, the stadium's on its way. They'll obviously almost have to sort of kind of, you know, piece the, the current one together to, to make do in the, in the sort of the, in the Premier League. But they've got long-term plans. 
and the finances of of the Premier League will help them do that. And so basically, it, you know, they're they're trying to sort of build foundations for the long term and getting into into the Premier League and the rich rewards. Look at the prize money even for the bottom club. But I I, I just feel that the energy that you you get from from Luton and sort of kind of listening to Rob Edwards talk, you know, about how. There's no doubt about it. He feels scarred brutally, doesn't he, by what happened at Watford? And basically, he couldn't even didn't even mention their name in sort of one interview that I heard because he couldn't bear it. And he's got a point to prove. A few of those Luton players will have points to prove if they get their, you know, sort of recruitment right. If they get a couple of good loan signings, they can make a difference. And no one ever, ever, I think, completely gives up. And I think they'll make a fight of it. And I think it's a fantastic story. Great stuff. A little bit there, you mentioned Rob Edwards, but to me, when I watch him, he, he just seems a really calm, pragmatic. It just comes across as such a potentially elite world-class manager. I've been so impressed with the way that he's conducted himself. And even after the game, I watched all the, the stuff on Sky after the game on Saturday, and he was talking about Lockyer. He wasn't even talking about the result. He was more bothered about that and you listen to the Luton players and they all in their first interviews were saying condolences to Coventry. Yeah. feel such a shame that Coventry had to go through this and the guy was the penalty. And I was like, you know, that shows to me that that club and that dressing room he's got there is, you know, very together and very, I don't know what the word would be, but they just came across so well as a football club on the day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a great shout because Rob Edwards was straight over, wasn't he, to kind of console some of those Coventry players, as were the uh, the Luton players as well. And that that to me smacks of good, you know, good characters, good people, and basically really strong humility. Because how many times have we seen, you know, um, other teams sort of kind of celebrating wildly and just forgetting with the moment where they are and where they've come from, really? Because I just think they were two such similar stories such similar parallels that Luton could so relate to the heartbreak that, that Coventry were feeling. And I just thought that that was great. And I think if they can, if they can keep that, keep that going, then, then that's, that's nice. They've got some nice, I think, they're, you know, looking at the game, watching the game, I think they've got some nice players and I think they sort of kind of play good football. Listen, I thought they were outstanding first half, really good, played really, really well. And basically could have been outside. By, by half time, but then Coventry come back into it. Robin sort of has a tactical reshuffle, and it's a really tight rest of the game. I do, I do feel as if Luton, you know, could probably take a bit of, I don't know, um, inspiration from Forest and what Forest have done. Because honestly, I just feel as if, I mean, Forest are a massive club, right? And so it's difficult to compare the two. But I just feel as if Forest have, you know, uh, They've ended up being being crazy in the transfer market. Luton certainly won't do that. But I do feel as if they've, they've got a bright young manager in Steve Cooper who's who's prepared to kind of, you know, really try and build a solid dressing room and, and a solid group of players that can sort of defy the odds. And so I do feel as if there's, there's you know, there's comparisons at Bournemouth. You know, look at what Bournemouth have done with Gary O'Neill. Frankly, Bournemouth has stayed up with the championship squad, I think, um, in, in my view, which is a massive tribute to, to Gary O'Neill's management. So to say that Luton will sink without a trace, I think is is really unfair. But but let's be clear here. I do I do think their priority will be the longevity and the stability of the club. Yeah. I mean look at this season, you know, none of the promoted teams went down this season. So no, that shows you, you know, and none of them were involved on the final day either. So that shows you the championship's not as weak. I don't think we're at the point where 
you know, we had Derby and Sunderland both get relegated with 15 and 11 points or whatever a few years ago. We're not at that stage now. That There is, uh, the championship's a, a very strong league. You know, it's a very strong Absolutely. league in the tournament. right? Absolutely. And I think it's a really interesting point, this, in that basically as we sort of kind of look at the um, uh, sort of playoff weekend and who who's going to sneak through and basically who goes up. I think without a shadow of a doubt now, the biggest gap, and I think it has been for a while, between two divisions is between League One and the Championship. I think that basically is so difficult, I think, to bridge that gap. And I think, you know, sort of kind of when there's been talk of kind of about wage caps and, and, and various spending levels and, and so on, I think it's very, very difficult to kind of bridge that gap. And, um, you know, I think the teams that do it and are able to kind of, you know, move them, you know, higher up the Championship, you know, are doing really well, but I do think that gap is really difficult to kind of bridge. And the teams that do it are, you know, it, it must take a hell of an effort because I think the difference between spend and the kind of the wage bill and kind of, you know, what you can realistically do between League One and the Championship, bearing in mind the top end of the Championship are all chasing the impossible dream of the Premier League and they're spending money hand over fist, I think it's incredibly difficult. And I think the gap between those two divisions is the biggest. And therefore, I think the championship to the Premier League, as you rightly say, Connor, it's not, you know, it's not impossible. Yeah. I mean, I think League One into the championship, be interested to see this summer because Ipswich, Plymouth and Sheffield Wednesday or Barnsley, I think Sheffield Wednesday more so than Barnsley, but all three of them I could see having good years. But then this past season, obviously my team, Sunderland, did really well, finished sick. Wigan, a disaster off the pitch and Rotherham just about stayed up so maybe that gap is shrinking a little bit I think the top end of mm. League One now is so many big teams mm. compared to the bottom end of League One where you, you know who the bottom 10 teams in that league is going to be but I do I do think it's interesting the the pyramid but this is why football's so exciting isn't it the fact absolutely. that absolutely this is why Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney bought Wrexham because yeah. they look at Luton that could be Wrexham in 5-10 years time Absolutely, they could. Absolutely. You know, the, with the right support and the right sort of crowds and attendances, that's the key, isn't it? Basically, because those bigger clubs that you talk about going up from League One, well, the, the, the point is that they're basically because they've got that fan base they w- and bigger stadiums and bigger, you know, capacities and attendances, they will be able to, you know, push it and bridge that gap a little bit more as previous clubs have, you know. But I think they're basically, when you're when you when you're sort of kind of the, the smaller club going up from League One, the championship, I think, is really difficult. Yeah. Will you be watching Barnsley, Sheffield Wednesday later? Oh, my God, yeah. Absolutely. I, 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 you know, I've, I've, I'm going to get my work out of the way first. But then, basically, I just, I think that's a fascinating game. I love the playoffs. And basically, I think it's a fascinating game. I, I, I'll, I'll admit here and now that I basically, I would like to see Wednesday do it, simply because I've got disproportionately the number of Wednesday fans amongst friends. And basically, um, also just, when you when you see someone and speak to someone, interview them, and basically you just build an affinity for them, and basically it's, don't always feel that, but I certainly did with Darren Moore after seeing him earlier in the season before a cup game, and you know just love. He, he's a really clearly a very good manager, and what I like about this, and this isn't you know in any way putting down his achievements, he's proved that you can do it. And he's a brilliant manager. Look at his preparation and, you know, his, his, his build-up for games. It's, it's, it's attention to detail. But also, he 
has this way about him that, that basically just sets this nice culture at the club. And basically, you can you could feel as I did, sort of going up to to Wednesday's training ground, that there's just a nice place about it, you know, nice buzz about the place and good atmosphere, and that comes from the top, you know, because the guy is a, is a really nice guy, and you talk to people, and basically, you know, sort of, you know, one of the nicest guys in football, they say, and basically, you know, and that's absolutely true, and slightly irked me when basically people say, oh, stop going on about what a nice guy is because he's a really good football manager. Well. They're not mutually exclusive, you know. And basically, the whole point of his managerial uh, philosophy is that the culture that he sets, and that basically wants people to be, you know, friendly and 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 good people. And I think within that, you could see the celebrations after that that second leg against Peterborough, the way that they were celebrating, the way that the players were basically respecting more in the in the dressing room afterwards. You know, the way that Barry Bannon spoke about Darren Moore afterwards. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And that comes from the manager. And that comes from the type of person that he is. Yeah, so, hopefully. Yeah. In answer to your question, I want to see Wednesday when I'll be winning. Hopefully, no matter what the result, Darren Moore still is the, the Sheffield Wednesday manager next season. Because yeah. 96, 97 points, whatever it was, he deserves it. Well, we're just about out of time now. It's been a good show. Um, and I'm... I'm Hyped up now for the, the League One playoff final. I was there last year as a Sunderland fan. It was a, a big day. So yeah. I, I can feel the tension from Yorkshire <laughs> ahead of that game. <laughs> um, so thanks, John, for joining us. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>